The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon and welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, where this week, as every week, we work our fingers to the bone to bring you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And today we're going to talk about what has got to be amongst the five hottest topics out in real estate world. Man, you go to any real estate meeting in the country and people are saying... Foreclosure, 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 foreclosure. After, what, over 18 months of being unable to uh, foreclose on folks who uh, got behind in their payments for one reason or another, the banks are starting to get caught up on those on those foreclosures against people who, in some cases now, are two and a half years behind and their mortgage payments, and it's caused a big rush of uh, calls to those of us who market all of a sudden from people who are saying, my property's going to the trustee sale in a month, or the foreclosure sale is happening, and a lot of us aren't used to that, <laughs> because it's been a number of years since we saw a significant bump in the foreclosure rate. So uh, the thing that always goes along with foreclosures, particularly when people are a couple of years behind in their payments, you know, 25, 75, $105,000, $175,000 behind in their payments is how do we get the bank to accept a payoff on their mortgage that is more in line with market value than with what the folks officially owe after all of those back payments. And that of course means short sales. So, uh, we're talking today to Dwan Bent Twyford, who is the queen of short sales, who, uh, I should add has just, has, uh, the, the short sale thing never stopped for her. She just kept right on doing them, even when other people kind of forgot that it was a thing or lost the skill of doing the thing. But uh, of course, she's extremely in demand right at this very moment. In fact, she spoke at the Cincinnati RIA and community of real estate investors meeting back at the beginning of the month. And once I heard what she had to say, say about her view, uh, which is more of an inside view of what's going on there in the short sale world, I was like, we have to get you on the radio so that everybody can hear this, not just the people who were able to attend our live meeting. So joining us from her home in Denver, Colorado is Dwan Bent Twyfer. Dwan. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, Vina. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hi. It seems like we just saw each other, and <laughs> here we are again. Hey. Um, so 
can can you i mean you like like i said you have been just continuing to do short sales it's your business that's you uh-huh. know even it, it didn't matter whether it was 2007 or 2015 or 2022 um you, you just you kept working that business that whole time so you have a uh i don't know a more inside professional view of how things have changed over really we're talking about the last six months things have started changing pretty drastically can you fill us in on what you think is happening there and what you think is going to happen over let's say the next year or so oh yeah 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 so you know what you said in the in the opening was correct people you know they had that moratorium for so long that people weren't getting foreclosed on anymore and so it seemed like, wow, okay, our business is like, where's our business at right now? But the banks, now that they looked at that, um, I've talked to a couple of people that are what would be called a level three loss mitigator, meaning they control like a portion of the country as far as the loss mitigation department, which is in the bank that does the short sales. And they have literally decided they're done working with homeowners. They're tired of people being 25, 26, 27 payments behind. And they are aggressively moving to take all these houses back as quickly as they can. Mm-hmm. So in the last several months, I have had no homeowners that were able to even get a forbearance or a loan mod or anything. Because they're like, no, we gave everyone a chance and no one did it. So we're taking our houses. Mm-hmm. But like you said, you know, I'm working with one woman right now. She's got 27 payments she hasn't made. And they're $1,900 a piece. So the banks are like, no, you don't get any more chances. But if we call them and say, hey, we're going to do a short sale, she owes more than what it's worth at this point, and she's going to file bankruptcy, and she's going to drag it on for two more years, the, the thought of the bank drag, it being dragged on for two more years by the bankruptcy system is enough that the bank's like, you know what, we'll just do a short sale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's we not- need to do to be done with this house? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want, you know, the conspiracy theory theorists out there who I have heard say banks want to take houses back because now they can make a profit by reselling them to have misunderstood what you just said. It's not that the bank, but banks don't actually take back, take houses back. They auction them off to get the money back out that they're owed. And sometimes they end up owning them. Uh, but a lot of banks now are in the position where they aren't going to get the amount that they're owed at the sheriff sale or the trustee sale. Okay. It's, it's just, they're, it's just way too upside down. And what they, what their real goal is just get paid. It's not, they, they don't want to own houses and, and owning houses costs them a lot of money and putting them through the whole, you know, we got it. We got to get an asset manager. We got to list it. We got to, um, you know, uh, uh, pay the taxes <laughs> while all this is going on. Insurance. Yeah. They, they would, oh. they would rather just get, paid and they're I, I I feel like I haven't talked to these level three loss mitigation mitigators, but I feel like this is this is kind of almost a, a strategy after they have tried it. I mean they legally have to offer people loan modifications. Like they can't not do that. But people don't respond or they respond with half the information or they don't qualify mm-hmm. or whatever. And I, I think at this point they're probably saying, you know what, if we file Maybe we'll wake them up and maybe we will, maybe we will get paid or get them that get that they encourage sellers to find somebody who wants to buy their house at less than they, they encourage, they encourage the sellers to go out and find somebody who will buy the house, even if it's in a short sale. 
Exactly. And <clears throat> yeah, that's correct what you said. The banks aren't looking to like take back the house. The banks just want to free up the money so they can re-lend it. Because at this point, they're not making any money on their interest. And yeah, they, I mean, the only reason they lend money out is for the interest, the payments. And they also, many, many people refinance, you know, back a while, I don't know, like what, a decade, eight years ago or something for like 2.2% interest and stuff like that. Well, now the banks are like, okay, we got a house. They haven't made 27 payments. It's 2.2% interest. We could just sell the house at the foreclosure auction, get our money back, and relend the same money for 6% interest. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So anyone that has a really low interest rate, the banks have zero inclination to work with them. Mm -hmm. um, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about what's going on in the foreclosure market and how Dwan sees that evolving over the next 12 or 18 months. And then we're going to get into some practical stuff about how if you are approaching short sales as a maybe new to you business, uh, things that you definitely want to avoid doing. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to the queen of short sales, Dwan Bent Twyford, who is suddenly finding herself the belle of the ball. <laughs> I mean, there were a few years there where real estate associations didn't, just didn't even bother to train people in short sales because there were so few foreclosures and, you know, the banks were actually kind of like, uh, yeah, give us full price and we'll let you do a short, you know, we'll let you, we'll let you pay off this loan before we have to take it to a sheriff sale. But, um, it sounds like they're getting more motivated. And part of that reason I'm sure is they're experiencing some of what they did in 2007, which is way too many defaulted loans and not enough people in the bank to handle them. That is true. I, I give you a good example. One of the women I'm working with right now, she's 27 payments behind us at 1900 And so we contacted her bank, and they're like, no, we're not going to work anything out with her. And I said, well, you know, she's allowed to get a loan modification. And they said, no, we sent her a loan modification two separate times, and she never sent it back. So I'm talking to Elise. I said, is that true? She's well, yeah. They sent me a package and said, fill it out, but I couldn't make the payments, so I just threw it in the trash. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So in the bank's mind, they're like, hey, we sent you two packages. You didn't send either of them back or even call to acknowledge that you got them, so we are not working with you. And there's so many homeowners like that that when they got those loan modifications just mailed to them, they thought, well, there's a, there's a forbearance agreement in the whole United States. I don't have to make payments right now. They just threw them out, but the bank counts counts that, mm -hmm. and so they're like, "No, you you missed the boat, and now we're taking your house." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they're just really—I mean, honestly—they're so aggressive right now. I've never seen the banks this aggressive, and it's super weird for me because normally the banks like, "Oh, what can we do to work with you?" You know, yeah, we'll do a short sale. They're like, "Oh," but now they're like, "No, we're so done with homeowners right now. We don't care. <laughs> give us whatever you're going to give us, and we're done. There's no delaying the foreclosure sale. That's it." Uh -huh. So they're just. They're, I think they're just like, you know, fed up, literally. Oh, I bet, I bet they're fed up and understaffed because so you, you, you remember 2008 and nine where they could not hire loss mitigators fast enough. Yeah. And, and, and it was hard to keep them because that's, a, that's a tough job, right? Telling a homeowner you, 
uh, are not going to be able to get a loan modification, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, one of the famous things about short sales is, you know, you submit the package to the bank and you talk to Billy Bob and he's like, yep, got it. Putting it, you know, putting it on my desk now, going to start working through it. And you don't hear anything for a week and you call back and they're like, Billy Bob who? Because <laughs> he's already, wow. he's already well, gone. Even, sadly, the average loss of mitigation rep only lasts six to seven months. And that's still the same today. They just don't last long. That's why when I have someone like Kip that's like a level three mitigator, he went through the whole loss mitigation. He became the asset manager and stayed with it. And then became like the asset manager or the asset manager, like a level one, a level two, and ends up now controlling like, you know, a quarter of the United States. And I'm like, dude, how did you stick it out that long? Because everybody quits because it, it is stressful because homeowners are yelling and they're crying and they're blaming it on you. And you know, not everybody's cut out for, I mean, I wouldn't like that. A homeowner's crying. It's your fault. You're going to be homeless because of you. I wouldn't like that either. So mm-hmm. I get it. I get it. But the ones that stick in there, are just a plethora of information. But, you know, one one thing I wanted to bring up, Bina, um, and I don't think most investors know this, is, and like you said, we're always just doing short sales because when you look at it from the bank's point of view, the bank has to have what's called a loan loss reserve against every single loan. So if you have a $200,000 loan, they have a $200,000 reserve that they can't lend out because they have to have a reserve against every loan. So if you look at the bank's point of view, and maybe they're what I would call like a 2X bank, maybe they have to keep two times um, the money that they've lent in a reserve against each and every property, that number gets higher when the market gets worse. So like in the 2008 crash when it went down and everything was crumbling, some of these banks were required to keep two or three or four times the amount they lent in a reserve against every single foreclosure. So right now, you've got millions of people that didn't make payments for the last 24 months. And the bank has a reserve. So if it's a $200,000 house, they have a two dollars or $400,000 reserve against each property. And homeowners aren't, haven't done anything. And they're like, listen, I need to free up. That's 600000 bucks. I can free up and lend it back out for double or triple what I lent it out for before. So from the bank's point of view, short sales always make sense because they always want to relend the money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the loan loss reserve is like the bank's point, and that's what they care about. And then people are like, oh, the market's good. Why would the bank do a short sale? Well, because the bank still has money against every single foreclosure. And God forbid the homeowner would file bankruptcy. That's two more years. And the bank can't lend any of this money. They're just sitting on all this cash. And their job is literally to lend money, not, like you said, not own houses. So what are your contacts in the banks saying about what they, how they see this going over the next year to 18 months? They expect, you know, we'll get these through the system. It'll be over. Do they say, well, they're having a recession, so uh, it's probably going to get worse. Like what, what is the near term picture here? I, I think they're more concerned about the re- recession and it getting worse because, you know, when it gets worse, like again, the whole nationwide forbearance agreement, the second that came out, I told everyone I know, I just saw me web, I was like, do not do this. Make your own mortgage payments. This is going to blow up. And then now it's blowing up. And then the banks are concerned now because people still aren't working. People are working two or three jobs to make the same that they made before. 
um, just all the stuff, and they're more concerned about a big recession, and then again, people are not going to make mortgage payments. And if we get in too big of a recession, the government could could do something like that again. Mm-hmm. I mean, they technically could because they just did and they proved that they could do, okay, nationwide forbearance agreement. All the banks have to be in whether you want to be in or not. Mm-hmm. And so they're concerned that the government could pull something like that again because that's never been done before, I don't think. And it lasted almost, what, two years almost? Mm-hmm. A year, 18 months for sure before. I think it just got lifted. December when did it get of, lifted? Like in November December, or December? December or of 21. Yeah, after, yeah. after several extensions, which uh, I think probably didn't make lenders who were not collecting money on loans that they had made uh, pretty unhappy. Oh, they did. And then, like, you couldn't evict tenants, and it was like, oh, my God, seriously. So <laughs> it's, it's happening. So their their um their their feel is it's going to get worse before it gets better in terms of they think so. their their they're, side they're concerned it. they're concerned it's going to get a little bit worse before it gets a little bit better and they have so much money tied up at this point that they they are very aggressively like I mean I've talked to ten homeowners in the last month that has sale date set and the bank's like no we're not giving any extensions period mm-hmm. it's like. Dang. But if you say, hey, I'm going to do a short sale because of, the, you know, what they owe, and I can get you your money faster and, you know, in lieu of these people maybe going the bankruptcy route and tying you up for another 24 months, they're super open to it because they just literally want to free up the money mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because they were forced into doing this. So for every, in our, in our, you know, world, in our business world, for every problem, there is also an opportunity. And the opportunity Uh here is that uh, folks who still remember how to do short sales or who bother to get trained how to do short sales, because it's not, man, it is not something that you probably want to try and figure out how to work out for yourself. By the time you've worked it out for yourself, this little foreclosure bubble will be over and you will will have lost out on a lot of deals. So, (laughs) so um, either either get trained or pull out their skills from you know f- twelve years ago. Uh, this is an opportunity to get the banks satisfied, and also, and this is an important thing that I know you and I have discussed this on this show before, but we've got to pull this out again. Short sales are so much less stressful to homeowners. Just, uh-huh. just like emotionally stressful and are, are generally, they generally turn out to be a better outcome, certainly than going to the sheriff sale or, or, you know, even signing a deed in lieu of foreclosure or something uh-huh. like that. Because they've got somebody who, yeah, you're going to make money, but you're also on their side in the sense that you have the same goal. Exactly. And you know, the thing is with the short sale, if the bank says, okay, I, we will agree to do a short sale. And they have a pending foreclosure sale date. The bank may say, I'm going to move the sale date back 60 days. Now, the homeowner and their mind are like, okay, wow, I get to live here 60 more days. I'm not going to just wake up one day and find out that my house got sold and they moved all my stuff out to the sidewalk. And then they know that we're going to pay them something to help them move and help them get a fresh start. And just FYI, the bank will not allow the homeowners to make any money. So we buy something from them. I give them a bill of sale. I actually take the item and then I go donate it. Yeah, usually. Well, no. And then I get a donation thing. No, man. If they've got appliances, 
you actually do want to buy them because it's so they got nice appliances. They do. They do. I'm working with a woman right now. Her house is so nice. Got a fireplace. It's fancy, fancy, fancy. She's got like original uh the bear claw bathtubs from like the 1920s. And I'm like, girl, I could raid this house. I put this in my rehabs. You got some nice stuff in this house. <laughs> yeah, and you can you can you can buy their appliances. You know, their refrigerator, stove, washer, dryer. That's all personal property. Um, yeah. you know, maybe you're going to make it into an Airbnb and you'd like to buy some of their furniture too if they're open to it. That's how that's the way homeowners can get money, not by you agreeing to pay the bank two hundred thousand yeah. dollars for two hundred fifty thousand dollar loan, and then slipping the seller another five thousand dollars at closing. Yeah, and, and I never ever do that because people ask, "Well, how do you pay the homeowners?" The bank says they can't make any money, and that is true. On the actual closing document, it says, "You know, the proceeds of seller zero. So the bank is not going to take fifty thousand dollars off and then let me give the homeowners ten grand. Mm-hmm. They'll just take the ten grand for themselves." So I use a bill of sale and I actually buy the item and I take it because if you buy it and then don't take it, you didn't really buy it. So I actually take it and either use it, put it in the rehab, take it, donate it or something. But um, that's how they get money. And that's legal to give the money that way because you're not giving the money, you're buying something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, in the court, giving and buying are two different things I would hold up in court. Like I didn't give them anything. I I bought something. Mm-hmm. So here's a sale. I didn't give them anything. So we're not like, and it's not a short sale jail or anything anyway. But if the banks find out the homeowners are getting money, they're like, no, give that to us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All so right. That's a- we need to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to actually talk about things that you listeners should and should not do in short sales. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate. I'm your host, as always, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to Dwan Bent Twyford, the queen of short sales. Hopefully, listeners understand that, you know, whether you do a short sale business or not, you know, that's up to you. There's some opportunities here to make money, help homeowners exit their foreclosures more gracefully than go into a sheriff's sale, and then somebody buys the property, and then they literally get evicted from their own homes, and not on their timeline, by the way, on the, on the wow. timeline of the bank who bought it or the new owner who bought it. Um, it's really hard in a one-hour radio show to to even start to fully describe what all the steps of this are. So... What what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some like things not to do. And also I should let listeners know, I almost forgot about this. Uh, Dewan is actually doing an all day online seminar for the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati on Saturday, the 24th. And it is, it is online and it is more, you know, she's got six hours <laughs> instead of the one hour we have here. So if you're interested in checking out the agenda for that and seeing if you want to come, that would be at CincinnatiRIA.com, CincinnatiREIA.com. And then just go to the calendar, look at September 24th, click it. There's an agenda and registration there. So Dwan, you've been teaching people how to do these for more years than you probably want me to say out loud on the the radio. (laughs) 90s. Yeah, I'm that old. Yep, since since the 90s, and um, I know you keep running across people doing exactly the same thing that 
just drops a grenade in the middle of the deal over and over and over again. So let's, let's give you a chance here to, uh, talk about what those most common things are and how to avoid them. And I notice on your list, the number one thing is not having the complete cooperation of the homeowner from minute one. I don't know if that's number one because it's the most common mistake. It's the no, biggest it's mistake. Number one. <laughs> it's-, it's absolutely number one. Number one. And, and what I mean by that is, I mean, you have to understand that the homeowners, you know, we're dealing with, these are, these are short sales are dealing directly with homeowners. We're not buying from the auction. We're not buying from the bank. There's not like, you know, uh, nobody with a soul on the other side. These are people that you're talking to daily and they're in trouble. So their emotional state, you know, is kind of all over the map sometimes. And so I need them to know, like, listen, I'm going to buy your house. We're going to do a short sale. It's going to take time. I'm going to need this, 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 this from you in a timely fashion. And there's no, you're not going to jump in. And I, you know, people just want to jump in and like get in and let me call the bank. And I was like, no, (laughs) I'm the only person that's going to talk to the bank. You're going to prepare these items for me and get them to me before I call the bank to start the process in case the bank, you know, moves quickly. And I need to make sure the homeowner understands that when this deal's done, that is their day. We're closing. They have to move. So I encourage them to start packing, thinking where you're going to go, start looking for another place to live. Because what happens is homeowners will get down. You get short sale accepted. They're like, oh, I don't, I'm not ready. I need more time. But the bank won't just give you extra time. Once they say yes to the short sale, they usually want you to close within 30 days. So Homeowners have to just understand, like, this is the end of the line. The train stops right now. There's no place else to go. Now you have to face the reality, and you have to pack. You have to move. You have to give me documents. You have to dig things up for me. You have to do this, 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 this. If you can't do all that, I'm not going to start because you'll get a, the bank will say no. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's nothing, and, that's nothing more frustrating than getting uh, halfway through a short sale deal and the bank needs, the bank always needs one more document. It's like always, they always need one more document. Always. It's like, stop. And, and, you know, you call, you call your homeowner who's been totally aligned with you on, yes, I'd like to get out from under this. Yes, I'd like to have, you know, somebody trying to work with the bank on my behalf. Um, you know, it's kind of on the investor's behalf, but, you know, trying to make this happen in a way that's not a public sale, right? Yeah, exactly. And then, and then the bank calls and says, well, we need updated bank statements, yeah, <laughs> something. And you call them and they're like, yeah, I'll get that to you. And then they never do. Or they say, I've given that bank too many documents. So, it sounds like it sounds like the key here is setting up the homeowner at the beginning, maybe at the first meeting before you even put it under contract to say, this is what it's going to look like. And this is what is, you know, there, there, it may be that you have to that I need the same document from you three different times because that's how banks are. And if you're not up for this, that's fine. You know, we don't have to sign a contract. But if you are up for it, that's that's what you're in for. I, I give them a checklist. And on a checklist, it says hardship letter, pictures, which I take the pictures, Um, you know, proof of the hardship, tax returns, bank statements. I give them a checklist. They need all these things. So if you're so strung out that you can't get these documents for me, then I can't even start because it's not worth it for me to start because the bank's going to ask for that. Mm -hmm. So I have this checklist. It's got like 15 items on it. I say, I need all these things, and we're going to have to list it. So you're going to have to list it so I can get a listing agreement. The bank's going to want a listing agreement. 
and then we're going to do all this stuff. And if there's anywhere along here, you're just too frazzled. You can't do it. You don't want to do it. I can't start. So I make them give me everything on my checklist first because it is a lot of stuff. And what happens is if you don't get the homeowner to understand like that this is an actual process, and then you keep calling them and go, okay, well, now I need this. Now I need that. And then they actually think you don't know what you're doing because why do you keep needing items? Mm-hmm. I've, I've heard and that. So I've they heard lose that. their faith in you. Like, okay, you called me 10 times to ask me for 10 additional things. What What are you doing that you don't have? So they, they lose faith in you. Mm-hmm. And and related to this, uh, you know, kind of, kind of making sure all your ducks in a row are in a row before you set down the path of talking to the bank and all the, all the things that that entails. I'm going to tell a story about Drew. (laughs) Okay. I tell this, I tell this story to him at least once a year to remind him that it happened. We went out and looked at a, uh, or he went out and looked at a a property that was a perfect short sale. Uh, The guy didn't really even want the house anymore. He had already moved out. It was, you know, he was just hoping to, maybe get a little bit of money for his appliances or something. He didn't want the foreclosure. He didn't want the sale on his record. And uh, Drew met him out there, talked to him. Guy was really nice. Drew wrote him an off. Uh, 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 sorry. Drew gave him a price. He said, you know, we can pay whatever the number was, $160,000. And that's, uh-huh. that's actually pretty close to what you owe once you take off all the penalties so I think we can get this done. The guy's like, oh, great. You know, you, you rock. And Drew didn't get his contract signed <laughs> because he was such a nice guy. And, you know, he would have to go all the way back out there with the contract, which he had forgotten. And Drew uh-huh. completed the short sale negotiation, called the guy back. And the guy said, yeah, the bank already called me and told me they'd take that. And my brother-in-law is buying it for that. <laughs> so, ah! so, so, so need we say, don't set down this path without a signed purchase agreement. <laughs> yes, do not. And exactly. And I also, uh, one of the things I do in the beginning is I say, how much money do you need to move with? So if they're like, oh, I need $30,000 and it's a 200000 house, it's like, mm, no, you didn't make mortgage payments. You didn't pay this. You didn't pay that. Like, what do you need to move with? So usually they come in around five, three to 5,000 bucks. So in advance, I say, okay, you're going to get, 35, let's say 5,000. You're going to get $5,000. So regardless of what the bank pays, because then when they find out the bank's going to accept less, they're like, well, then I want more. It's like, no, the bank's accepting less because of the work I did. I'm giving you the amount you asked for. I'm making this amount. And I explain, I'm selling it to somebody else, a rehabber or a landlord. They have to have that equity in order to even want to buy the house. Mm-hmm. So I tell them the whole thing. I'm wholesaling it to somebody else. And this is how the numbers work. So I'm going to get the bank to take this. You're going to get that. I'm going to make this. We're going to sell it for 65% of the value to this guy over there. Everybody's got to have money. So I make sure everybody knows. And I get that number, what they need to move with in the beginning. Because people will want these crazy amounts of money um, because they think, well, if you're getting it for half, then I'll take half. It's like, I'll take all the money. It's like, no, it doesn't work like that. Yes. And the man- so you, like with Drew, you got to get everybody in the row. You explain them. And people are like investors. They well, if I tell people all that stuff, they're going to leave. It's like, okay, let them leave and then get another deal. Cause if they're, you think they're going to leave, they're going to leave anyway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like with Drew's case, the brother stepped in because Drew did all the work and the brother's like, oh, okay, got it. I'll do it. And then boom, he lost the whole deal. 
You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today to Dwan Bent Twyford about short sales and mistakes people make when they're approaching short sales. Man, I wish we had time to like really go through all the stages of the process and whatnot, but it's an hour long radio show, ladies and gentlemen. So um, we're going to continue down the line of things to do and not do right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate. I'm your host, as always, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to Dwan Bent Twyford, the queen of short sales and the presenter at a seminar on September 24th online that Cincinnati RIA is co-sponsoring. Uh, you can find out more about that at CincinnatiRIA.com if you are kind of in the place where you're like, yeah, I need to know more about this. I need to, I need to figure out how to do this because it, it all sounds good. The potential profit, helping homeowners, all of that sort of stuff, keeping a bank owned property out of my community. <laughs> Cause right? once they go through <laughs> sheriff sale, if the bank ends up owning them, let's just say that's always, even, even when the bank's got an asset manager who's mowing the lawn and, you know, picking up the beer cans every couple of weeks out of the yard, whatever. Uh, that is always the worst looking house in the neighborhood. And it typically depresses property values in the neighborhood as well. Uh, so CincinnatiRia.com for more information about that. Um, more, more kind of, let's call them common mistakes that people who are getting into the short sale business make. Uh, this is not like a normal deal where part of the attraction to the seller is I can close in two weeks for all cash. Right. And yet people still write their contracts like they were going to close in 30 days. Yeah. And so what I do is all of my contracts, I write in on the closing day, I put 30 days after the bank's acceptance letter. So because this is another thing investors do, they'll put down 30 days. And then the bank, the bank is like, no, we need 45 days to do the short sale. So then the investor goes to the homeowner and says, okay, I need a two-week extension. And the homeowner is like, mm, okay. And the more you have to go to the homeowner and keep asking for documents, extensions, the more they think, like, I don't think this person knows what they're doing, and I don't know if they can help me. And that's when they'll bounce off to somebody else. So all my agreements say from the day one, okay, so however long the short sale takes, it's 30 days from the day the bank sends me the acceptance letter. And then I don't have to keep bothering the homeowner, sign this, sign this, initial this, initial that. Because that's the stuff that makes the homeowners not have faith in you. Mm-hmm. And, and it doesn't seem like it's a big thing, but it is to them because they don't know you, first of all. And, yeah, you have a relationship to some degree. But the bottom line is they always want to save themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and realistically, this just is a 90-day process. I mean, you just have to assume that by the time you've gone back and forth with the bank and gotten the broker's price opinion and da 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 da, it ain't gonna be thirty days, no matter how hard a worker you are or how uh, cooperative your seller is. So, get those properties under contract for now. Get under contract, and you know, being it in some cases, the bank will say we've already postponed the sale date three times, and you know, it's October first, and the sale date's October twenty first. If you can close before the 21st, we'll take it, but we're not moving the sale date again. So sometimes you have to really be ready to step up immediately and beat the sale date. But that would be a bank that has, you know, like like right now, they've given them so many, 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 many months. So sometimes they're like, okay, if you can do buy the sale date, we're not extending the sale date. So if you don't close by then, the deal's gone. If you do, we'll take it. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, holy cow, I've only got like 10 days. What am I going to do? So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
You have to be ready. But on, on average, I would say from the day you sign with the homeowner to the day you're sitting at the closing table to get money, it's probably going to be 90 days. But you can get the banks to take 50% of the value. So if you have a $200,000 house, the bank will take 100. You could sell it for 65% of the value or 70 or 80% of the value. There's a lot of money there. Mm-hmm. Or just rehab it yourself. Or rehab it take yourself, that, yeah. Take that. Or, or keep it as a rental or, 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 um, so. Keep it as a rental, Airbnb, whatever you want to do. But it's, it's not uncommon to get the bank to take 50% of the after repaired market value. So if you can get that, it's worth putting the time into it because there's a lot of money at the other end. Now let's, let's talk about the, uh, the, this is, this is getting a little more into understanding the legal procedure of foreclosure in your state. Because in my state, a foreclosure is going to take eight to nine months. And my understanding is in Texas, it takes like two months. So <laughs> the, the timing here is important. Um, one of your, your number two mistake that investors make is not understanding when the sheriff's or trustee sale is going to happen. And, and that is exactly what you said. People don't know the foreclosure rules of their own state. Some people don't even know if they're in a trustee state or a mortgage state. I don't know. I don't know. Like, what is happening? So it's, it's important to know because, like, I think uh, Georgia is, like, the first Tuesday of every month. All the foreclosures are on the same day. And Texas is like that. And there's Virginia, I think, they're, like, 14 days once it goes to foreclosure. And then, like, some states, like, you, you know, months and months and months and months and months. So it's really important. And a lot of investors don't ask the bank. Do you have a sale date that's actually set? They just start working on the deal. And the bank may have a sale date that's already set. The documents are turned in. The trustee or sheriff's going to sell the house. And they don't even, I've seen so many people that, oh, I forgot to ask if there was a sale date. Mm-hmm. And, that and should so, be your first question. <laughs> so you're, you're diligently negotiating a short sale and then three weeks in, boom, it goes to sale and, and your short sale's over once it, once it goes to the sheriff's sale. The short sales over, and I it, oddly and guess how I learned. Guess how I learned that? <laughs> <laughs> did you only have to learn it once, or did you have to learn it multiple uh, times? No, I, I had to learn it twice. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> um, the other the other piece of that uh, puzzle, though, is I think a lot of people they depend on their sellers to tell them whether or not there's a sale date, and I've dealt with a lot of sellers that have thrown away every piece of mail that has come to the, from the bank for months and there's a sale date set. And it's not that they're not, it's not that they're lying to you when they say no sale date set. It's that they don't know because they didn't open the envelope. So don't rely on the seller's information about that. Okay. Let's, let's turn to the other side of this because the, the, the really high level, the process is. You find a seller who's in foreclosure and who thinks a short sale would be good for them because if they don't think it would be good for them, they simply don't sign the contract with you and you move on. Uh, and you you get a contract signed and then you get this documentation that you were referring to. What about presenting it to the bank? What what mistakes do people, do the investors make when they are ready to take that stuff and go to the bank and start to make their case for a short sale? So then, and that's a really great question because all, all the investors that try and just figure it out on their own, they all do this. They just call the bank up. They say, hey, here's my package. Here's my information. This is what I'm offering. And then the bank says no, or they counter offer. 
and then the investor doesn't have any more information information to counter bags. So you have to understand it's a negotiating a negotiation. So you're going to make an offer, the bank's going to make an offer. You're going to present more information, the bank's going to counter you. You're going to present more information, the bank's going to counter you. So a lot of people go in to the bank like, this is my offer, here it is, I'm offering $100,000, $200,000 house, there it is, take it or leave it, and the bank says no. And then the investor's like, okay, I don't know what to do next because they 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 showed their whole card, uh, hand, card what is it, your your cards, they showed all their cards on the very first shot. So you have to understand that the bank is ideally not going to say yes right out of the gate. And I rarely, rarely, rarely in like the last decade have had a bank say yes on the first attempt. Mm -hmm. So you have to save back some information and talk about, okay, well, I gave you all the homeowner stuff. I gave the taxes. I gave this. I gave that. Okay, let's talk about the neighborhood. Oh, the neighborhood's gone down. This and this happening in the neighborhood. And then you know, on the third offer, you go back and say, well, the people are thinking about filing bankruptcy. That's going to screw this up for two years. Let's try to avoid that. So you have to save some room to actually negotiate for a minute. And it's not hard, complicated, like, you know, intense corporate negotiation. It's just you can't expect the bank to say yes right up out of the gate, and you gave them everything you have and made your very best and possible offer, and then they say no, and then investors go, oh, I didn't work. I tried 10 shorts. I didn't get any of them. It's like, well, did you negotiate? Well, no, I gave an offer. They said no, so I said that's it. So people have to understand it's a process. So give them, give the bank everything they need to do to, to, to have to open the file. They'll tell you what that is. Yeah, but they'll give you a list. It's usually these are the five things I need. Yeah, ta tax returns are sometimes on that list. Hardship letters are on that list. Don't hold back any of that because your your file will never get opened. But hold hold back some stuff is what you're saying. Um, yes. it, we've got about a minute and a half left. So can we talk about uh, mistakes made in the uh, all? This always happens in every short sale. And most investors don't even know what's going to happen. And when it does, they don't take any particular action on it. the broker's price opinion, BPO. <laughs> so, so the bank is going to send someone to do a drive-by. And that person is a real estate agent that's hired by the bank that is ideally hoping to get the listing if the bank takes the house back. So the BPO, they have sort of an ulterior mind, hey, I'll give them this amount, this is what I think it's worth, and then if the bank takes it back, I'll get the listing and da-da-da. So the BPO uh, often comes in way too high based on the actual condition and reality of the situation. So sometimes I have to tell the bank, like, you know, I can send someone by to give you a second opinion. Um, this agent's looking to get the listing. They don't really have your interest or the homeowner's, you know, interest at heart, and, and I try to either get them to not care so much about the BPO or to let me send someone by just to give them a second opinion, which would be my investor-friendly real estate agent mm -hmm. that would give a lower BPO based on the situation, the house. Actually the actually going inside the house and seeing what it looks like inside. because Actually going in, not just driving by and going, yeah, there it stands. Okay, here's what it's worth. Mm -hmm. And But that's never really a big obstacle. It's really not a big obstacle because the bank is like, okay, send someone else by. Because real estate agents are, are neutral. They're considered a neutral third party. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the bank's like, sure, if you have someone, send them by. Let them send me a BPO. And then it's it's more like, okay, this house compares to these other houses in default. And there's probably a million more things that we could 
talk about just in the area of mistakes people make. But unfortunately, we are out of time. So, uh, Dwan, appreciate you. I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll talk again here uh, in the next six months because, uh, this is an evolving situation and, you know, nobody's got a crystal ball, but it seems like all sources, the banking industry, investors, um, everybody kind of, kind of thinks there's going to be more potential short sales on the market in the future rather than less. And we want to keep up on all of those things that we can use to help make money solving people's problems. So again, Dwan is doing an all-day seminar for Cincinnati RIA, Saturday the 24th. You can get more information uh, on the calendar link at CincinnatiRIA.com. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.